And then my goal working with people is to keep them sustaining. So we're excited, but then we're going to sustain because our systems and our routines and everything are in place. And then from there, we just keep stepping up our goals and keep going through stages of success. And Hello, hello. Welcome to the Openly Spoken Podcast, where we talk about the real and raw messy middle of business and life transitions. I am your host, Celia, and I want to first start out with some gratitude for all of you listening to the podcast. The podcast isn't even a month old yet, and we already have some engaged listeners, so I'm so, so grateful for you. And I also wanted to give a shout out to my friend, Michaela McCrory, who left us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, and she also has a podcast called The Aligned Radiant and Rich Podcast. So make sure you check that out if you are a feminine entrepreneur. It's like a coaching call and you get to kind of like eavesdrop into a coaching call. So that's really, really cool. So today what we have on the podcast, I just edited this episode and it was so nice to relive this conversation with Dr. Brianna Robinson. Dr. Brianna Robinson is a licensed clinical mental health counselor in North Carolina and a national board certified counselor. Robinson primarily works with doctoral candidates by serving on dissertation committees as a content expert and provides international coaching for graduate students at various stages of their degrees. And in this conversation, we, oh, it was so juicy. This was such a lovely conversation. We talked about the cycle of emotions in entrepreneurship. We talked about how what we experienced in childhood might show up in our entrepreneur journey. I also want to give a little uh, note about something that I mentioned about 25 minutes in where we were talking about mindset. And I said in there that mindset is everything. And this episode was actually recorded on September 15th. And since then, with my own personal work, I've come to realize that mindset, yes, it's a huge part of success, but it's not everything. I truly and fully believe that energy is everything. And that is something that I will get to in a solo episode. So I just wanted to note that. I just wanted to mention that. When I was listening to that, I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't agree with what I said anymore. <laughs> so this was an amazing conversation. I hope you enjoy it as well. And I thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the episode. Thank you so much, Brianna, for being here. Or shall I say Dr. Robinson? <laughs> <laughs> Brianna's fine, but thank you. Uh, let's start by hearing more about your journey and how you got to where you are today so we can get to know you a little bit more. Absolutely. So I started, I think my whole journey with my career actually started when I graduated with my undergrad. I got accepted into a master's program. And the only reason I even went into counseling was because I did not know what to do with my life. I couldn't get into any psych programs because my GPA was really bad in undergrad. So I just applied anywhere I could get into a master's to kind of delay that having to get a real world job thing. So I ended up in counseling and it turned out to be one of the best decisions that um, I accidentally fell. I say I fell backwards into it all the time and it turned out to be awesome. I started with my master's program and doing counseling and doing some odd jobs on the side. And then when I graduated, I actually started a private practice and that private practice was doing so well that I ended up getting um, pulled under the agency that I was renting from their facility to run the agency. And then from there, I've recently started a new practice, a new private practice in um, a little bit of a different space right now, but academic coaching, a little bit less trauma-based, but uh, 
it's been a pretty, pretty interesting journey anyways. Mm -hmm. It's cool how, when things like, like when you fall into things and you don't know how things are going to unfold, they actually still like work out. So gracefully. And so like you get to a space where you're like, wow, I'm so aligned. And I wouldn't have been here if were it not for that, like one thing that felt like a mistake or that felt like a failure or felt like a, I didn't know what I was doing with my life chapter. <laughs> oh my God. Absolutely. Even going into the, the counseling program, like I honestly had no interest in counseling to begin with, but I just, mm-hmm. like I said, I was looking for that escape from the real world, got accepted into a grad program, figured it'd be like undergrad. It wasn't, but mm-hmm. I thought it would be. And even in that space, I ended up getting a really niched counseling position where I was actually working as a trauma counselor with animals. So I was doing animal oh. assisted therapy. Um, specifically, I was working a trauma based with equine. Uh, so I was incorporating horses in my counseling service. So even within the counseling world, I was very niched space that was very odd, but I loved it. I did walk and talk, nature therapy, adventure therapy, like anything outside. Um, And I did that for about seven years of intense trauma. Uh, The first couple of years was my private practice. And then I worked at that agency who they kind of like scooped me up. I was renting their horses and then they Mm. scooped me up to run their program. Um, Mm. And then after this year, I transitioned into doing more academic academic counseling and career counseling and, um, have actually moved fully away from, from trauma. So it's been an interesting shift into a new private practice. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the trauma shows up though. And what you do now, how does that, uh, let's talk about that. I'm, I'm so fascinated with like childhood trauma and how that like shows up. Cause I didn't have the worst childhood, but I think I think we all experience trauma simply because when you're a kid, you don't understand the world and like, you just can't comprehend that like mom's going to work because she loves you. She loves you. Not that she's going to work because she wants to like leave you alone. You know what I mean? Like you just, you don't understand the world when you're a child. So. Oh my God. Yeah. It is. I always joke with my clients, like none of us escape childhood without having some kind of scars. You Mm -hmm. could have the best parents in the world, but they're Mm going to do something that's going to scar you later as an adult that you're going to realize and be like, oh my God, how did this happen? So it's, I mean, there's, there's different levels of traumatic exposure that we'll find. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them are, I kind of consider them covert and overt, right? So we have these kind of covert, which might be more like microaggressions that you experience in childhood from, um, you know, discrimination, racism, things that are kind of these passive trauma experiences that don't always register to us as kids. And then you have more of these, you know, these overt things, which we're talking about, like our sexual, physical, emotional abuse, any of those kind of things where they're usually exposed in some way and you're encouraged to go to counseling and deal with them right away. But those, no matter what they are, if they're an overt or a covert type of trauma, it's still going to have a major impact on you and your development And then how you see yourself later on in life and what that does to your career and to your family and, you know, finding that work-life balance and everything. So trauma is definitely, definitely majorly impacts our entrepreneurial, (laughs) entrepreneurial, (laughs) entrepreneurial journey as we go. That's a tough word. Entrepreneur. (laughs) Entrepreneurial. No, I can't say it. I have a New York and like a North Carolina accent. And a little bit of Canadian in there too. So when I get certain words on my tongue, they just, uh, they don't like to roll very well. Can't speak Spanish to save my life. That's for sure. No R's in there whatsoever. Are you originally from Canada? 
No, I'm from upstate New York, but there's like a okay. weird like Canadian accent that happens way up in that area. Oh, okay. We get a little bit of it. My family owns some land in Canada, but nice. a little bit of childhood up there. Nice. Canadian O's and A's. Nice. So did you always, did you always know that mental health was like something you wanted to go into? You, you mentioned that you didn't want to go into counseling, but like mental health in general, was that something you wanted Honestly, to help people with? I wasn't really sure with the, um, with undergrad, I did it in psychology. And even okay. that, like I was a hot mess in undergrad. I was a great kid in high school, then went into college and lost all my scholarships was, was a very, very hot mess. And, um, actually experienced trauma when I was in college, which ended up impacting a lot of my journey and career later. Um, but yeah, trying to recover, I realized recovering from that trauma when I was in school, it, it messed me up pretty bad and didn't know what I was doing. So there's a joke in counseling when, you know, you get into a counseling program that there's a handful of people there that are there to heal themselves. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was one of those people. Um, I realized that this was a field that I wanted to be involved in once I actually sat down and started working with clients. Mm-hmm. And that was a cool experience. It was terrifying and mm-hmm. scary. And the imposter syndrome was going crazy the first time I did that kind of work, but it was really impactful to see how someone can grow and change just by interacting and listening and, you know, providing a little bit of feedback to them. Mm-hmm. So what was that like that? Like first person that you helped? How oh did God, that feel? I was so scared. <laughs> so scared. Oh my God. I was maybe 22 years old. So like uh-huh. we got right in, we had a semester of education and then we had a semester where we started practicum and my program actually started a pre-practicum. So we got in, in kind of a very structured space where we sat down one-on-one with individuals. And my fear was at the time nursing homes. And that's where I got placed mm. was at a nursing home. So my mm. first client was an elderly client who had a TBI and a traumatic brain injury. Um, and I was wondering what that was. <laughs> yeah. And she was a super sweet lady. I absolutely enjoyed her, but my, my own fears of nursing homes. And mm. at the time, my fears of elderly people, I was, I was scared to death. But um, it was it was a really powerful kind of experience at the same time to overcome those fears and work through that imposter syndrome and all the anxiety and everything mm-hmm. that was happening in that moment. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the coolest thing though, I, I over the course of the career working in trauma, kids were like, I always said I was never going to be a kid counselor. I was never going to work with kids. I love my kids. I call them my itty bitties. Coolest Aww. little things ever. Like I, ugh, yeah, they were they were probably the highlight of my career so far working with them, but uh, I'm excited too for my older kids now that I work with in undergrad and in their masters and in their doc programs. They're kind of a cool, cool new population that I'm working with this year. Mm-hmm. Do you get to choose like what age group you work with or does it just get like assigned to you? It depends. It depends where you get placed. Um, okay. So working with Aquine, we, especially as a trauma therapist, they often gave us kind of the nothing else is working cases. So we're going to try the weird horse mm. thing. Mm. So we'd get kids that were pretty much about to be sent to residential and we'd kind of keep them, try and keep them in the home space basically. Mm. Um, but in that space too, I worked with adults and it was incredibly powerful. I got to work with a lot of military population in that space too, because mm. they don't like to sit down in front of that traditional office space. And I mean, I'm five, two, I'm a very brass person myself. I was the closest thing we had at the agency to a male counselor because we didn't have any guys. <sighs> but I am a very direct therapist anyways. So I always got to work with the military population that connected really well with me and working with horses. It was a whole new environment for them to 
relax and just nice. find a sense of comfort without the walls. So it was cool, cool space. I love that. It sounds very needed too. Cause there's a lot of, I have a few friends who their husbands are in the military and I can't even imagine like raising children and your husband being like all the way across the ocean. I can't imagine. Um, but then, so you went from counseling, you're still doing counseling now, but you're helping yes. academics with their dissertation. So you're doing like both now. Yeah. It's a weird okay. kind of niche. So I niched out originally with trauma in the equine space. And then, um, I started that, like I said, the private practice got pulled into the agency, worked as the clinical director for the equine agency. And then this past year, I switched over and started working as what we call a career counselor and an academic counselor. So it's, kind of a subsect again within a subsect. So I work with undergrads, I work with masters, and then my my favorite, don't tell anyone, my favorite population is my doc students. I love working with them on their dissertations. Um, So I do, if we're in the state of North Carolina, which is where I'm licensed, it's technically counseling. I'm allowed to say it's counseling, but anybody Mm -hmm. outside of the state, which is a lot of, you know, the population I work with, everyone's kind of scattered. We call Mm -hmm. it clinical coaching or we call it clinical, um, not clinical coaching, clinical coaching or um, academic coaching instead. So we don't do like processing. We don't do diagnosis. We don't do formal treatment plans, but we're still helping work through these things without crossing those lines of technically doing counseling across state lines. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of bureaucracy that, you know, the American Counseling Association is trying to wipe away with the state by state licensure laws, but uh, it's probably mm-hmm. another 10 years before we have full reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Until then I do coaching out of the state and in the state I do counseling. But um, I love it. I love working in that career space, working with my, you know, entrepreneurs. I still can't say that word, entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> working with those guys and then um, women specifically. I really do enjoy working with women who are starting their careers or transitioning careers or coming back into the career space after having babies. That's an awesome, oh. awesome population to work with. And then all of my academics too, they're yeah. struggling right now with COVID and everything that's been happening this past year. So it's really cool mm-hmm. to work with them and help them through those transitions and the struggles that they've been facing being in and out of the classroom and campus shutting yeah. down and coming back. So it must be really hard. Mm-hmm. And what is, so the first time I met you and you told me what you do. So mm-hmm. I'm asking, I'm asking this question for the audience. What is a dissertation? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> <What> is that? <laughs> it's a lot of struggle and pain. It, um, it is basically the combination of someone who's completing their doctorate. Uh, a lot of programs, they will do all of their education for their doctorate. So it'll range depending on the specialty between a certain number of credits. Um, I believe mine for, le- I actually have a doctorate in leadership and the specialty is in counselor education. So it's um, focused on leadership skills and you know business and those kind of spaces. And then my specialty is in counseling. So I can actually teach counselors at a master's and a doctorate level. Um, so my, my program was about 60 credits. And then when I finished those 60 credits, I moved on. I spent a year on campus still um, writing this very long research article. And the purpose behind it is to contribute to the literature. It's to cont- contribute to science, contribute to the field in general with some type of um, qualitative or quantitative research study that you then go on and you publish later. Mm-hmm. So it's usually around like 300 pages long. It's like writing a whole book in a year and you have a bunch of people giving you opinions and feedback and there's a lot of bureaucracy that happens in the process of it. And you have to go and run a whole data collection or go through and do archive research in some basement library somewhere. So there's a lot that goes into it, but uh, Mm -hmm. 
when you're done, you're officially a doctor at that point. So this is something that everyone with a PhD had to do. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it fluctuates a little bit depending on the field. Um, some fields, they go a little bit more into like lab work where I'm in the social sciences. So mine was focused on people, Mm -hmm. um, actually looked at equines and how they impact a trauma population with our biological responses. We looked at our heart rate and how over time we actually saw that just engaging with horses decreases our heart rate and decreases our trauma response. So it was cool. Uh, It was a really cool study. I love horses. I do too. They're sweet. I I have a friend whose mom has like a horse rescue ranch in Montana. Oh, nice. I was actually supposed to get married there, but then COVID happened and we're like not planning a big wedding anymore. Oh, but uh, horses are magical. It's crazy how strong they are, but they're like gentle. Like they could easily break you in half, but they, but they won't. <laughs> not on purpose. Then. Most of them yeah. not on purpose. Yeah. But, yeah. They're really, they're really powerful for healing. Uh, it was really actually sad for me to give up that life as far as working at the farm and doing that every day. But my husband and I, we decided we just got married actually in 2020 and congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, we decided that we're finally qualified and for North Carolina to foster. So we're going to, we just filled out our application this week. So we're excited and congratulations. Yeah. That's partly why I started this, my own private practice again, is so I could have the flexibility to, you know, be mm-hmm. able to foster little kiddos on the side and help them and their families with reunification and everything. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm here instead of nice. working at the farm still. <laughs> but nice. There's someone space. I follow on Instagram. I'm going to share her with you after this conversation um, who writes all of her, all her content is about like foster care and stuff. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah definitely. Maybe you would like it. So what was there like a moment where you knew it was time to pivot and help people with their dissertation? Yes. I knew you know? <laughs> the moment. Oh, my dissertation was rough. My whole last year and a half of school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually talking to the chair of our department. He was running all of the counseling. He was excellent. You know, I idolized him. His research article was very similar to my, or his dissertation was very similar to my research. I uh, loved animal assisted therapy. We're actually talking about creating a specialized program for doc students to get certified And he was talking like, you know, what I would do, what classes I would teach, if I'd be interested when I graduated in helping create that program. So I'm like, this is great. Like he's the chair of my committee. He's, um, you know, potentially offering me a job to work at the school. Like everything was great. And a week later he got fired. (gasps) Yeah. And he couldn't talk to any of us either. They held his benefits against him and said that if he reached out and tried to talk to students, he was going to lose a severance package. So it was very, I couldn't talk to him for probably six months. And he was the chair of my, um, my dissertation committee. So he was the one guiding and signing off on everything I was doing with that, you know, that long dissertation process, but it was heartbreaking. And then after that, we spent six months of our faculty just leaving. Like they, when they got to a certain point where their contracts were up, they would just walk away and a bunch of them just quit straight out. So my entire dissertation committee was, gone. I think I lost a total of like four or five people. I, I stopped counting at some one point oh, and I had to keep filling out like applications to get new committee members and everything. It was, it was a nightmare. Um, yeah. So yeah, that whole process when I was going through that for the faculty that tried to stay connected with me and tried to support me, I absolutely like appreciate everything that they did, but I was also so isolated and alone. 
And I, I promised myself that after I finished my dissertation, I was going to do everything I could to keep other people from feeling that way. Cause it sucked. It was, I was crying every day. I'd get out of class and my poor husband, I'd go in the bedroom and I just like sobbing. I'd be crying in class. Like it was just, it was, it was so painful. And I net like at that point in my career, that was the highlight of my career as far as finishing that stupid dissertation. (laughs) It's, it is the pinnacle of everything you've been working for, for 10 years at that point. So so to have it all like constantly just being pulled apart and then new, new people coming in and changing the rules. It was, it was a nightmare. So that was when I'm like, nope, I am at some point going to try and do what I can to help support students when they have those moments where it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night and they're, they're frustrated and they're, fr- they're angry and they just got out of class. Like I want them to be able to go and, you know, listen to a meditation that I created or log into, you know, the dissertation therapy course that I have and, you know, sit on there and listen to how to deal with rejection when they're, mm. you know, their defense gets rejected. I mm. want to have those resources available to them so they don't feel alone. So it's been fulfilling, I should say, trying to pull all these things together and you know, create that space and provide that space for, for students that need it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Long answer (laughs) answer to that question. Perfect answer. It's beautiful that you uh, went through it yourself. I think that's the key with like your life's work is to help people with something you've actually experienced. And I feel like that really leads well into what we want to talk about today which is we want to touch on like that phase of business where it's like, maybe I should get a second job or maybe I should quit. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start, let's first talk about um, like the natural cycle of emotions that you think comes up in entrepreneurship, maybe at least from your own experience or, or patterns you've seen with clients. Oh, absolutely. For myself and then absolutely working with clients, the first thing that I tend to see is just the excitement, right? We, we come up with this idea, this new business, this thing, there's this excited energy that we get. And what I, what I end up seeing with people is they get it and then they jump in and they, you know, they start their Instagram and they start their Pinterest pages (laughs) and their websites. And they, you know, they start creating their products if they're selling them in that space or their coaching. So like they get in and they start doing it. Mm -hmm. And then three to six months go by and they start to crash. (laughs) And they're not making sales anymore, or they haven't made a sale and it's been six months. And that's when they're reaching out for support and they're like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. So in that space, it's usually the stuff that I end up seeing too, is that there weren't systems put in place originally because that excited bug kind of got them and they just started doing all the fun part and none of the other side got done, or they just didn't have the resources and know how to do it. No one's ever walked them through that stuff. So then they crash. And that's usually where I come in to try and try and help them set those systems up and create that space. Then we get excited again. <laughs> so I go back into that. And then my goal working with people is to keep them sustaining. So we're excited, but then we're going to sustain because mm-hmm. our systems and our routines and everything are in place. And then from there, we just keep stepping up our goals and keep going through stages of success. And you have your little dips here and there with, you know, the rough days. And, um, but usually that, that stage where I see people that are like, I'm ready to quit. I need to walk away from this. Nothing's happening. Is that that crash? That's when, mm-hmm. you know, there's not always it's things put out. in place. Yeah. They're, they're crashing. Mm-hmm. Or if they're in like that, um, that service space where they're directly providing service to somebody, mm-hmm. is that co- compassion fatigue or just that, mm-hmm. that mental burnout stage from helping somebody or trying to help people in ways that aren't sustainable. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of the flow that I see is that excited to crash to excited again, and then working on sustaining. Mm-hmm. 
And then how do you shorten that like time it takes from being, I guess, at that crash stage or just basically like, let me rephrase the question. How do you get a faster from the point of, should I quit my job to like, no, there's just something I need to shift. Cause you know, our brains are, our brains are very interesting. They tell us things that aren't necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to feed into the thought of, should I quit my job? Every time that comes up, we're never going to reach our goals. So what's a quicker way to kind of like snap out of that? Definitely systems, having systems in place. Mm. So I love when, when someone reaches out as soon as they realize that they're excited about something and they want to set that thing up and whether it's not with me, but it's, it's somewhere they're reaching out for support and services. I love like women's business centers. Mm -hmm. Those, we have a couple in our specific area and they have been phenomenal with providing me resources that I just pass on to my clients with like how to write a business plan, how to set up those things. So like when you have those systems and you have those foundational pieces there, wherever you end up like building your scaffolding on, you're always going to have that foundation. But if you're trying to build your scaffolding for your business and your life and that balance, you don't have that foundation. It's always going to be a rocky start. So going, always going back to those stages. So wherever they are in their journey right now is taking a step back, checking back on their business plan. If they wrote it, is this still relevant for me right now? Is this, cause that's your guide. That's like in counseling, it's like our treatment plan, right? Like that's the thing guiding us forward. Mm-hmm. your business plan, the goals that you set each quarter, the goals you're setting for the, you know, the one year, three year, five year plans, all of those things need to be in alignment or else you're going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. So that's really where I like to, to send people back to is those basic fundamental pieces. <laughs> and then from there, anytime that you have that dip off or anytime you step into those moments where you're having a rough day or a rough couple of weeks and you're, you're questioning yourself, you're going to go back and remind yourself why you started this. Your business mm-hmm. plan should have that statement, those mission vision statements in there that say, this is my purpose. Mm-hmm. I've lost my purpose. It's easy for me to be swayed by the grass is greener over here rather yeah. than staying on the path that I have. So there's a lot of mindset in there too. That is really important to keep yourself guided in that one direction. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to ask you next, like what, what is the most fundamental tool if someone like has all those systems in place, but things mm-hmm. don't go as planned, but you just mentioned mindset. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mindset is huge. And I have a couple, there's a couple techniques I really like to have people use when they're in that rough spot. So mm-hmm. if you're having one of and honestly, I had one of these a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I just need to give up on where I am. And when people, when they're in that mode, it, it usually is the grass feels greener over here. So when mm-hmm. you're in that state and you're, you're thinking like, oh, this would be so much easier if I was in that corporate job or if I was over in that place, allow yourself to look, honestly, go on Google, not Google. Yeah. The Google, go on the Google, go on Glassdoor, <laughs> go on monster, see what those jobs are, see what they're asking of you and what the pay is. And there's a reason that you started doing this entrepreneurial journey mm-hmm. because there's something over there that you don't want. And it's either that nine to five, it's a low salary, it's mm-hmm. demands on your time that you you're not willing to compromise for. So yeah. if you can go see that that grass really isn't greener, that's one tool. Um, another love one that, that I love too, is I have people write letters to themselves from their future self. So when you're really down in that dumpy place and you're having a rough time and you can't see it out, I would say, okay, give yourself kind of a mindful moment. Think of you three to five years from now that version of you that's in that place that you want to be, have them write a letter to the you now and have them tell you what you need to do to get there. What are the home life things? What are the personal things? What are the business things that need to be put in place? 
for you to accomplish your three to five year goals? What is that version of you going to say? What are they going to remind you of? What are the, the positive things that they're going to tell you? Or is that version of you going to turn around and they're going to say, nope, this was a terrible idea. Run over here and do that. It's unlikely, right? Because we started this for a reason. So that's that's another thing that I really like is those those personal letters that we write to ourselves can be really powerful too. Mm-hmm. I love those tools. Yeah, me too. I like them. <laughs> it was also a surprise for me that mindset was is so huge. It's mostly all of it. Cause mm-hmm. me, I'm the type of person I'm pretty creative, but I also have a huge analytical side yeah. and I'm really good at planning. I honestly over plan. I have basically like high functioning anxiety where I just like love to plan and plan and plan and plan. Mm-hmm. plan, and plan. <laughs> yeah. And that was how, that was how my business, like it started, which is oh, a shit ton of strategy. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I want to curse on this podcast, but I guess that's happening. (laughs) Okay, good. As long as we're both on that page. (laughs) And now I'm like, I've been for the past since May, I've been like really going back and like trying to solidify my habits to incorporate mindset work because it really, really is everything. And I'm noticing how it shows up. Like if I'm afraid to sell something, it has nothing to do with the sale. It's something that like happened when I was a kid. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my God. So many things. These are also deeply rooted in our brain. And Mm -hmm. I I love like one of my, my counseling specialties within working within the brain. Um, So they call it neurobiology or neuropsychotherapy, but talking about growth mindset and what that physically does Mm -hmm. to our brain. If we go back to those states of trauma, like what we've actually seen in, um, And horses, what they've found is that when we work with horses and we're doing trauma work with them, that the prefrontal area of their brain actually grows and is larger than horses that aren't doing that kind of counseling work. It's really kind of cool, but the same Mm -hmm. thing happens to people. If I am experiencing trauma, then I'm going to function out of the lower regions of my brain, which is my trauma response. So the Mm -hmm. mass of your brain is actually larger in that region than it is in your creative space or your prefrontal regions. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about kind of how to, how to keep ourselves in these positive mindset. Every single time that you stop and you verbally tell yourself, or you write it down, or you read it to yourself, or you see, you know, a graphic, that's a positive graphic. Every time you see that you are physically creating a growth mindset in your brain. You can think about it like an actual pathway. And every time I do that, the neurons are lining up. And then every time I do it again, they're getting thicker and they're getting stronger and they're pulling the ones nearby and you're creating a super strong pathway. Mm -hmm. And the old mindset or the negative mindset will slowly start to go away and it'll slowly start to dissolve on its own. Mm -hmm. But anytime that you bring it back up, it's going to get strong again. So you're physically causing a positive growth in your brain. when You're, you're saying those positive things to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I like to bring up the the biology side of it because I think it gives us more ownership over, you know, why would I stick a sticky note on my mirror that says I'm an awesome person because you're physically causing that growth in your brain where if you don't do that, nothing's changing and nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. It's also cool to see that there's like actual scientific evidence behind all these like woo-woo things. <laughs> yes, yes. I love, I love because so many of their counseling techniques, they seem, they seem like that, right? Like even the mindset, mindfulness activities, same thing, like just sitting mm-hmm. down and being present with yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it does so much good for your brain. And so we're just talking just bottom up regulation when you're experiencing a trauma exposure. That was my entire career was just teaching people how to bottom up regulate from the bottom of their brain to the top so they could function. 
And it, doing something like sitting and breathing, mm-hmm. you're going to do that. You're going to allow your heart rate to calm down and, you know, the, the relaxed part of your body to just take hold versus the, you know, high fight or flight responses. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's so much good that comes behind all of these techniques you hear all the time about self um, positive affirmations to yourself, meditation, mm-hmm. mindfulness, just going outside for a walk. It's just, it's amazing what, what all of those things can do. Mm-hmm. I always feel so much better when I go, there's a park not too far from where I live. And I have this like specific tree that I sit under. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I go there anytime I feel stressed out for my day and just five minutes of sitting under it. And I'm already like, oh, okay, I feel better. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. So walk and talk therapy or nature therapy incorporates a lot of that. There's the color of um, when you like look up in the trees and you see that color of the green coming through Mm -hmm. that color of the chlorophyll actually has an effect on our physiology. And it does that. It brings up that calming state of our body and our mind, and it allows us to really be in a state of calm. So I wonder if it's the smell too, because the smell, yes, actually live in Connecticut and I miss going into just like a thick forest where all I can smell Mm -hmm. is dirt and leaves and trees and grass. Oh my God. I yeah, missed so that. <laughs> the nature fix is, is absolutely one of my favorite books for talking about incorporating nature into people's daily lives to help them with just decompression with their mindset and their happiness. But in there, they talk about things like sense and like the scent of pine is actually one of the highest recorded scents for increasing our mood. So like you think of Christmas, a lot of people or holiday seasons when they smell that pine, cinnamon, Um, Like right now, the pumpkin spice, everyone associates that scent and that flavor. They associate that with the changing of the seasons. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons there's such a big kind of boost around it this time of year. But it's it's an excellent book for learning how to incorporate all of your senses and how nature impacts those things and helps you really ground and and regulate. So it's a great resource. So definitely check it out. But Mm -hmm. yeah, a nature fix. (laughs) I wrote it down. I love reading. I'm currently reading a book called Complex PTSD. Oh, yeah. I forgot who, who wrote it, but um, he shares about, I don't know the book, what it's called, but it's like this book full of like diagnosis. Oh, uh, yeah. The DSM. Actually, DSM. Have it right behind me. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. He talks about how much thinner that would be if um, childhood trauma and complex PTSD was more acknowledged mm-hmm. because all these things like ADHD and... I don't remember all the things that he listed as an example, but he's like, all of these things, in my opinion, could be attributed to childhood. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And what I find fascinating is that like, we have these unconscious triggers in our life that that show up, especially as like an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So for anyone listening, how do they know, how would they know that they're being triggered, that they have like some unresolved trauma versus it just being something that's new that they just need to get some experience to get the confidence. How do you tell the difference? That's a great question. So a little bit of this is going to go back to like the covert and the overt types of trauma, right? So we know like with most people who've experienced that overt trauma, the um, sexual, physical, emotional abuse kind of things, those are often, they're often not kept super secret or by the time we've gotten into adulthood, we can look back and recognize like you know, yeah, I was in a household of an addict, you know, I experienced these things. It's time for me to go in and deal with these things. Now, when we're dealing with things, like if we grew up in a household with a functioning alcoholic, so mm-hmm. somebody who presented 
during the day, always showed up for the PTA meetings, you know, was always mm-hmm. functioning to an extent where outwardly mm-hmm. society saw them as okay. And even inwardly in the household and the family system, it appeared to be okay. Or we grew up thinking we were in a great household. Everything was fine. We had everything we ever needed. Mm-hmm. But in reality, even in that time, you were still coping with that person's addiction, whether you realized it or not. So that's a little bit more of a covert type of trauma that is still going to affect you later on in life that you may not recognize until you start to see symptoms and then go get help for those symptoms. Mm. So things to check out for like major changes in behaviors. So if you're having difficulty sleeping um, or oversleeping, like you find yourself having a hard time getting out of bed, which many of us do, Mm -hmm. but this is the kind where you maybe get out of bed, you get up and you get dressed. And then two hours later, you're crawling back in bed because you're having a difficult time facing the day, facing mm-hmm. your clients or just being present. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things we're looking for with sleep, eating patterns. You're not able to eat or you're overeating, eating too much. So some of those kind of physical things, difficulty concentrating. So this is on simple stuff too. Like you're having a hard time sitting down watching TV mm-hmm. or sitting down reading a book. You find yourself getting distracted. Those are really red flags. All of these things combined are red flags that you need to get some additional support. Mm -hmm. So avoiding things that you used to enjoy, not finding pleasure in stuff that you enjoyed either. So Mm -hmm. if you do enjoy reading and then you find yourself sitting down and you're just not wanting to do anything or you're wanting to sleep all the time, these are some pretty red flags that you want to actually go out and get some help. Mm -hmm. Um, Extreme changes in anxiety. A lot of the things that I mentioned, they're depression type symptoms. Mm -hmm. So checking for depression, checking for anxiety. If something just doesn't feel right, if you're having a difficult time connecting with your family and your friends, your relationships are changing, you find yourself isolating more. Any of these things are going to be red flags that there's something going on that you need support for. Mm -hmm. When we are dealing with things related to trauma, or if you have any concerns, if anyone listening has a concern, they might have been exposed to a traumatic situation that they're not really sure I'm going to highly recommend going to see a therapist. There's a ton of people out there that are like me who are counselors that are training first, and then they specialize in things like career. So you can go and you can find that counselor who, you know, does the career services that you might be interested in. That would be more of somebody you'd find in like a coaching setting, but they're going to have that training and that expertise to handle the trauma too, Mm -hmm. where your traditional career coaches, they're not going to be licensed or have the ability to handle all of the trauma. So that's, that's the only area that I would really kind of watch for, Mm -hmm. but reaching out, there's a ton of resources online. There's a ton of counseling services online. There's a lot of free resources online for checking assessments, um, for depression, anxiety, any concerns like that. So Mm -hmm. if there are anything coming up or someone's questioning, that's the time to go get help and to see if, to see if there is something more there that somebody can help them with. Yeah. How do you think are the traumas we experience in childhood show up most commonly in entrepreneurship specifically? (laughs) They hurt. That's what I've seen. They really do. They, they cause, they cause a sense of pain. Like, and it comes up in, in things that we say to ourselves and things that we hear. And Mm. when we don't get that sale, it's that mindset that pops in that says, you know, you're not worthy of this or you're not doing enough. Right. It's that, that just those pain points that we learned in whatever type of trauma we were exposed to, they can be negatively reinforced. And we hit some of these barriers that we mm. face in that, you know, that entrepreneurial journey. So when you're coming up against those things and you catch yourself saying, you know, or feeling bad or beating yourself up because you didn't make that sale mm-hmm. or because you didn't meet the goal for this quarter, whatever is happening or whatever those thoughts are that come up into your head, those are the things I would check. 
And if it's mm-hmm. statements like I'm not enough, you know, or my mom's right, right? <laughs> like anything along those lines that come up from you from childhood or even early, early adulthood, those yeah. can be indicating that that's a specific area that you want to focus on. Mm-hmm. Do you think it affects like what kind of entrepreneur we become? Like there are some entrepreneurs who just develop like passive products and like they don't really have to be present with people. And there are other people who are in one-to-one counseling all day. Some people are leading team. Like there's so many different ways you can be an entrepreneur. How do you think what we experienced as a child, as a child, specifically our trauma affects like what kind of entrepreneurship seems desirable to us? More on the end of it's the, the negative sides of the entrepreneur journey that tend to come out here. So for somebody who, you know, grew up in that household, that was maybe the, you know, um, the quieter version of like the addiction, right? Like everyone Mm -hmm. kind of assumed the family was okay. We dealt with the functioning alcoholic. They may grow up and be more of a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily the industry or the field that they get into, but it could be more along the lines of the way that they proceed throughout that career, the way that they proceed within that space. those perfectionist details. And then when they don't meet that perfectionist idea, all of the negatives that come with it. So those are kind of more of the things like the imposter syndrome. That's a huge one that'll creep into depending on Mm -hmm. the type of exposure that you had to different traumas that'll creep up and it'll look, it'll look all sorts of different ways. Um, The mindset is another huge piece that will come up, but Mm -hmm. it's not, yeah, I don't, I'm not, at least I've not come across it career wise Mm -hmm. where I've seen like you know, everyone who's been exposed to this kind of trauma tends to be a little bit more fearful of that interpersonal connection. So they do like e-commerce or anything. I've not really come across that as much, but it's, it's the responses. It's the Mm -hmm. way that when I'm in this role, how I end up actually functioning in the areas where I have those gaps, Mm -hmm. those gaps tend to come out based on what you've been exposed to and the way you were raised and all the scars that you have from being a kid and whatever capacity they came out of. Mm -hmm. And for you, with your long journey you've had that continues, what are like the huge changes that you've made in handling your emotions from, let's say, like day one of your PhD program to day one of being an entrepreneur and then to now? (laughs) Oh, goodness. I this one, I was a hot mess and I was angry. Oh, very angry. I was such a hothead when I was. Oh, and I thought I knew everything. I had an, I had a chip on my shoulder because I was so young going into the program. I was actually denied getting into a doc program because of my age. Oh, so, oh yeah. They, they blatantly told me like, you don't have enough experience. And I finally pinpointed one chair to actually tell me like, why am I getting rejected from this program after being rejected by as many of them as I applied for? And he said it was my age, like point blank was just oh, like, wow. I'm sorry, like you are just too young to be in a doc program. And it pissed me off. And I got so angry. <laughs> so I found a program that actually took me. So as soon as I graduated my master's, I went right into another program within like a month and I was just angry and I, I had something to prove and I was going to tell everybody about it. And my, my sass and my anger, that's how I responded to everything was just with, with an attitude and with anger. And since then, I've definitely grown up quite a bit. I have a buffer now. I've noticed that I get to this state where I will have something happen and I have a, an emotional space that I allow myself and then I choose how to respond. And it's taken a lot of practice for me to get to that stage of, you know, being able to make the choice. 
And I know now that when I have that immediate anger response, that that's a trauma trigger for me. Usually mm-hmm. in most cases, mm-hmm. I'm feeling defensive or I'm feeling attacked or I'm, I'm having my own kind of trauma response, but it's, I feel it right up my chest. I have a visceral response, which just flames all the way up through my chest. And I'm like, who, who got to take a step back from this? Got to do my breathing, do my journaling, just maybe take an hour or a day or three if I need it. But yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a buffer now that I've through my own counseling and, you know, a lot yeah. of my own personal work I've learned, but, oh yeah, I was such a hothead. Hothead with a lot to prove at 22 years old. So, oh boy. It's always cool to look back at how we changed. Like when I was 22, I definitely also felt like I knew everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even when I was 16, I thought I knew everything. <laughs> oh God. I think that comes with that being, just being that, that age. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely definitely a mind shift that happens I think around like 26 and 27 Mm -hmm. I mean mentally your brain kind of stops growing at that point yeah when brain decline or brain death (laughs) at that point we stop growing our brains so usually around that stage is when we start to see see maturity and you know a little bit more slower paced and Mm -hmm. a little bit less to prove at that point do you have any uh like guiding principle or like a mantra that guides you in everyday life? Yeah. So I, um, one of my first actual Instagram posts, I actually started my Instagram because I was angry at my program and I wanted a way to vent and I started it anonymously. So it was just professor and pumps and I was just posting stuff, but it was for me, it was a way to put out affirmations that I needed to hear. Uh One of the first ones I put up was actually called, it was, um, find peace in the chaos. And that just, that came out of the chaotic environment I was dealing with, with losing all of my dissertation committee members and faculty quitting. And just to that point where I just had to stop and just find peace in the moment that I had. And that one has always stuck with me. And there was another one I actually learned um, at a silent retreat in the mountains from a Franciscan friar who always told us to be where your feet are. So I've always kind of tried to keep those two in my mind. So not being on my cell phone, you know, not being sucked into the TV, but being present where my feet are in front of me. I love that that. one has really always stuck with me. So finding peace in the chaos and being present, um, being engaged with where my feet are right now. So I just wrote down, be where your feet are. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's a really good one. Good for grounding. It is really (laughs) is. It's just peaceful thinking about it. Yeah, it is. What's something that you think no one would expect about you? Oh. Something you could share that's like an unexpected thing about you. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I mean, I'd like to say I'm a complete nerd, but I think that comes with being an academic in general. <laughs> Everyone kind of gets that. Um, I go to punk rock concerts. Oh, I nice. Love, yes. I, we're actually going to The Offspring this weekend. That's one of our plans. But Rise Against is one of my favorite bands ever, and I like to go crowd surfing and I put my fake nose ring and my fake uh spacers (laughs) in my ears when I go and (laughs) how fun oh yeah I have a whole other whole other fun side of me that none of my my little itty bitty clients ever believed when they'd ask me what my favorite music was yeah punk rock music (laughs) like what you don't look like that person like well you've never seen me in the the nose ring so (laughs) there's that yeah I haven't heard the, the, those band names. You said the offspring and rise against, mm-hmm. I haven't yeah. heard those band names since high school or middle oh, school. 
I love, I love Rise Against. They connect. I actually got reconnected with them in my doc program when I was severely suffering from depression. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at a concert and um, one of the songs that they were singing just connected with me. And I just started, I'm in this mm-hmm. punk rock concert and I just started bawling in the back of the stage. And my husband's down there in the mosh pit and I'm <laughs> up in the balcony. And I was just crying because I was connecting with it so deeply, but God, I love Rise Against and like their, just their, their social initiatives and everything that they stand for aligns so well with mental health and just everything I believe in as, as a therapist, as a counselor and a human. So it's, uh, it's honestly how, how I I love to incorporate music too, to, to help with people when they're dealing with those low lows and, you know, those difficult times and depression. So that's Mm -hmm. a weird thing about me. I like (laughs) punk rock music. (laughs) That moment with the song, was it like, was that a song you'd heard a bunch of times before? And just in that moment, it hit you differently. Yes, it, um, it was, I love that. It, uh, it was so powerful. It was just permission to feel like crap and to mm-hmm. be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, yeah, it just hit me, it hit me really, really deeply. And it was such a powerful, cause I was so depressed for so long at that point that that was definitely a pinnacle for me to turn turn things around and it helped. And then mm-hmm. I actually went in and got, I wasn't doing therapy or anything at that point. I was just burned out and depressed. And after that, I was like, okay, you got to get therapy. got to move on. Got to start doing this stuff and taking care of myself. And I really did. Mm-hmm. That was a good moment. I had a similar experience with um, a, my, one of my favorite bands is Incubus. Mm-hmm. And I was obsessed with them since probably age 13, 12 or 13. And when I was around 25, I started listening to them regularly again. And by that time at 25, I was a yoga teacher and was a little bit like more educated with mindfulness Mm -hmm. and their lyrics just hit differently. And something that kind of, it's kind of similar to your find peace in the chaos quote. They have this lyric where he says to obtain a bird's eye is to turn a blizzard to a breeze. So just like that, like taking a step back and like looking at things from a wider perspective. And there's so many other lyrics that when I was listening, I'm like, wow, I was listening to this when I was like 12 and I had no idea how deep it was. (laughs) Oh God. And those, those messages, music is so powerful again in our brains. It lights Mm -hmm. up every aspect of our brain. So in, in therapy, when we do bottom-up regulation, dealing with trauma, that's one of the things we'll say is to put music on. Because nice. it's going to give you that left and right movement in your brain. It's going to help you move out of your brainstem responses for, for trauma and anxiety up mm-hmm. into higher regions. But it also, it connects us emotionally to the music. So if you have these deep rooted connections that you've played a song for so long in childhood, and then again, later in life, you replay it, you're, you're going back down those old pathways that were there neurologically in your brain. And it's, it's going to light up so many memories and feelings and I wouldn't be surprised too, if like you heard a song you hadn't heard for so long, if you start having images that mm-hmm. pop up from that time, or even sensory, yeah. like sense that mm-hmm. reminds you of a specific season or a time when you last heard that song, um, or even pain associations. Like yeah. that one song I heard, I actually busted my toe <laughs> on a playground. <laughs> swing, it was swing life away was the, the rise against song. And I was like, oh, sobbing too, as they're playing oh. it acoustically. But the last time I had actually heard it before that concert, I was like, maybe 14, 15, and I smashed my toe on um, the playground as I was swinging. And I like broke the heck out of my toe at the time. But that is the image that came into my mind is just this little version of me, this little kid version of me who was in pain alone on a swing set. 
and it just, it connected. Like I got to take care of that little kid. I got to take care of that version of me. And that's when I started doing some inner child work and stuff with counseling and yeah, got up and out of the depression and everything, but it's so powerful how music can connect with us and mm-hmm. can really facilitate a way of healing. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to like revisit the old songs sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fiance and I do that sometimes on the weekends. Like two weeks ago, we, we were like, what, what happened to my chemical romance? And we looked oh my them God, up yes. and, oh, and the songs I'm like, wow, we liked this. This is kind of horrible, but I love it at the same time. Yes. Oh my God. I think about that every time I hear like the old green day songs too. I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's true. Like what comes up is those old memories. Like when I listen to those songs, I love them, but I also remember how, like when I was a teenager, I was so depressed. And those feelings come up and I'm just like, wow. And it gives me just so much gratitude that our brains are ever evolving and we can like rewire and relearn and grow, grow parts of our brain and let the lower Mm -hmm. parts atrophy a little bit. So yeah, yeah, I'm really grateful to all of that. This has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I love, I love sharing about this stuff. Me too. And weird and unique at the same time. So it's pretty awesome to share. So thanks for creating a space for other people to bring this stuff to people that need it. You're welcome. Where can listeners find you online? So my favorite space, I still do my affirmations online. I do them on Instagram. Um, It's professor and pumps. And then any other information, if you're looking for career counseling, career coaching, dissertation work, random books that I got going to help people with support. Everything else is at um, drbriannarobinson.com. And that's, um, my name is spelled a little funky. It's B-R-I-A-N-A Robinson.com, not B-R-I-A-N-A. So just the one N. Um, but yeah, you can find me there. But Professor and Pumps is really where I love to share a lot of my resources. It's kind of my home base. And then everything else just goes onto the blog and onto the website from there. Thank you for listening to this episode of Openly Spoken. I hope that this episode serves you. For me, what really stuck with me after this conversation with Brianna was be where your feet are. This was a little mantra that really stuck with me for at least a month. And now that I just uh, re-listened to the podcast to do some editing, it's I know it's going to stick with me again. And it's just such a very grounding affirmation and yeah, I hope that this serves you. If you like this episode, please leave us a review. Please find us on Instagram at Openly Spoken. There are also links in the show notes of where you can find uh, Dr. Brianna Robinson online. And yes, I thank you so much for being here and I will see you next week.